Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello and welcome. Thank you very much for joining me today. I really appreciate you taking the time. The last couple of episodes I've been talking about how we're merging the Education on Fire podcast and the Learning on Fire podcast, which has been running simultaneously for a year or so now. But what I decided to do was to actually bring it all under one umbrella, have Education on Fire at the centre of everything. But I wanted to make sure that you also were aware of the great stuff we've been doing on Learning on Fire. So I'm going to rerun and share some of the great episodes that we've done on there as an extra bonus for you over the next few weeks. So you get an understanding of, of what it was we were covering, which was essentially talking to people who are living life on their terms, who are fulfilled, who are making a real big difference in children's lives through education and mentorship and various things. And today this episode is with Vondell Singleton and it's all about his story from growing up in Chicago with a very very difficult background and how his education experience and teachers and mentors made a big difference in his life and how he's now paying all that back and paying it forward and there's some amazing stories in there there's some amazing inspiration which is I think I just wanted you to share because we're not doing these things in silos there's education there's parenting there's community and actually it's all part of our lives and it's all of us together which make a big difference in the children that we're serving and supporting as they're growing up and this is Vondel Singleton talking to me a few months ago on the Learning on Far podcast. There comes a time in every person's life when you realise it's not about doing what you are told but doing what you know is right for you. Let us take a journey of learning and discovery with the world's most successful people who are living the life of their dreams, walking through life using their inner wisdom and being of service to others. Forget exams, grades and test scores. What is your purpose? As we let go of what we think should be and learn from our elders to gain knowledge, inspiration and a true sense of who we are. What are your dreams? Does your life have meaning? Are you living a life of significance? Let's talk with today's guest. Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome as we spend some more time together on the Learning on Fire podcast. Today I'm talking to Vondell Singleton. Hi Vondell, thanks for joining me and let's explore the journey of who you are. Yeah, so I'm an African-American man born on the south side of Chicago. Uh, I'm also a school administrator, mentor, minister, devoted husband. Uh, 15 years with two wonderful children and have a strong, strong passion um, to see the narrative change for South and West Side Chicagoans. And Chicago, is, is that where you're, you're born and bred? Is that is that sort of your home sort of longstanding? Yes, it is. I was born uh, on the South Side of Chicago. Uh, I grew up in the Ida B. Wells housing projects in the Bronzeville community, um, just about 10 minutes away from downtown area. And and can you paint a picture of, of what that sort of area is like and, and how Chicago is, um, and like I say, from your sort of working background as well, that, that sort of paint us a little environment of what that's like for people who don't live in that area, or certainly for me from the UK, sort of how that might sort of look um, thought through your eyes. Yeah, so uh, Bronzeville area uh, in the heart of Chicago is known as the Black Metropolis. So in the 20s, 30s, 40s, you, you had a lot of African-Americans leaving southern states to move up north. And they landed primarily 
in uh, large parts of Chicago. And my grandfather came in 1921 from Mississippi uh, as a Navy man, um, came here to Chicago and married my grandmother in 1923. And so from those times, uh, they bore nine children. My father was the youngest of nine. Um, so I like to think I was a third generational kid who grew up in the same area of Bronzeville. Um, and it, it's really a thriving community. Um, it's changed over the past few years. Um, and I like to use the word gentrification took place where a lot of the projects, the Stateway Gardens, Robert Taylor Homes, Ida B. Wells housing projects are no longer. Um, so you have a very diverse group of individuals now um, that live there, um, have started families, different schools, different communities. Um, and it's near Lake Michigan, which is one of the largest lakes uh, in the United States of America practically five minutes from where I grew up. We could walk the bridge and be at the lake. So it's a beautiful location. Um, and also as far as the school community, I started off school there. I went to a school called Doolittle, which is right off 35th Street. So I will walk literally out of 514 East 36th Street, apartment 202, um, right over to Doolittle, the back uh, parts of Doolittle and, and go to school. And, um, and then I would go over to a place we call Lake Meadows uh, and go eat at Kentucky Fried Chicken or go to <laughs> Foot Locker or Walgreens. So uh, and some of those places are still canvas there. But uh, I would just say, you know, since the early 80s to now, things have, have changed quite a bit. But it's still vibrant, still a place where a lot of people want to move and live just because it's so close to downtown Chicago. And it's also right near the lake. Yeah, it sounds amazing, and I love the water. I think it's such a great place to be able to go and just spend a bit of time with yourself and actually get a bit of perspective. So I think if you could live anywhere like that, I, th I, th I think that's a real gift. What does your life look like now, and how is it different from when you're growing up? So I guess sort of you know a little bit of background in terms of what your week to week would look like, and 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 how different that would be in terms of your experience of of how you growing up and 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 your sort of your family and and how they be living their life during that time. Yeah, I grew up, again, on the south side of Chicago. Uh, it was a drug-ridden uh, family community, one of the roughest neighborhoods during these times. you got to understand uh, the drug epidemic um, had hit uh, urban city America um, all across the United States of America, primarily the larger cities. Um, and so uh, you had in one household, um, now get this, picture this, in one household you had a drug user. And then in the same household, you had a drug dealer. Right. So there's a saying, a house divided against itself cannot stand. So my father was the drug dealer. My mother was a drug user. And so my mom succumbed in 1994 when I was 14 years old. She was only 29. So I had to endure the incarceration of my father. I experienced homelessness. Uh, I, I had no identity. And um, and so from day to day, you're talking about surviving the streets of Chicago. We believe in Chicago that if you can make it here in Chicago, you can make it anywhere in the world. You can put us anywhere in the world and we'll survive. Um, and so it gets tricky when a lot of people that you grow up with don't survive, don't make it. So, yeah, I've been to 39 funerals. Um, yes, I've seen, um, you know, uh, drug transactions from my own home. Uh, my father, my grandfather became a bootlegger where he actually sold hard uh, liquor 
um, out the, the the bottom cabinets of 514 East 36th Street. Um, you know, my, my uncle Curtis, uh, he murdered a man in the Army, came back, served his time to the streets to become a drug dealer in Chicago. My uncle was a chief of the Gangster Disciple Gang. My, my father was a treasurer. So growing up early, the first 17 years of my life was almost like a... I don't know uh, how to describe it. It was like almost like a nightmare in, in a lot of ways where every day it was like, well, I make it to see tomorrow. It was always on the back of my mind. Imagine walking down the street going only two blocks and you had to watch your back every three to five seconds because you didn't know if somebody was going to rob you, poke you, jump on you, beat you up, chase you. All of that happened in the confines of what I call the projects and you're talking about five to six thousand people in the matter of six to ten buildings in close proximity there's going to be friction uh there's going to be chaos there's going to be turmoil yes there were some good times but man you're talking about survival um so every day my life was in survival mode and i could not take a second to just sit back and say oh i'm good um, it was just like, man, you had to get out there. You had to survive. You had to keep your mouth closed when you needed to keep your mouth closed. You had to turn your head when you saw things you shouldn't be seeing. All that, you know, and to say that my life has completely changed um, from then to now uh, is really an understatement. It's, it's almost like I'm two different people, if you will. Um, and it was just like, I'm kind of rehashed in somebody else's life the first 17 years. So, yeah. And what was the transition between, between, between them and now, you know, what was it that, that made the difference? Was it something within you? Was it an opportunity? Was it someone that came along? And, and, if, sure. and the, the, the other thing I'm interested in, um, which just struck me there is the fact that I'm, I can, oh, I can only imagine what it was like and, and it sounds such a. Uh, it's an incredible story, but it's sort of heartbreaking mm-hmm. in terms of, um, you know, just thinking of children growing up in that particular environment. Um, but does it feel worse almost later on when you look back with perspective or was it actually worse in, in, in the middle of it? all? I just don't know whether whether you know any different when you're in the middle of it. It's just life and it's, it's what you've grown mm-hmm. up with or whether actually with perspective, it actually makes it worse in some way. Yeah. So, uh, you know, to kind of go back and kind of rehash, like I knew at an early age that the hand that I was dealt, we use uh, in terms of cards, Um, you're playing cards, you you have this hand dealt to you and you have to kind of play the hand that you're dealt. I knew for some reason it struck me that what I was dealing with at an early age, it was not normal. I knew it. And the way that I knew it and the reason why I knew it was because I could turn on the TV and see the Cosby show. And I would compare what I saw to what I was living like. And I said, whoa, this is not normal to live like this, to have your father when you're four years old putting guns and drugs underneath the mattress telling you looking you straight in your eye saying son don't touch these drugs and guns and i have to sleep on this mattress every single night but then i turn on the tv and i see the cosby show and i'm like hold on they're not living like i'm living (laughs) they look like me when i look in the mirror 
So something is completely wrong with this picture. And then and then another thing, I was big. I was a huge uh, Chicago Bears fan in the early 80s. And in 1985, we won a Super Bowl. And one of my favorite players was a, a running back by the name of Walter Payton. Um, and I just thought he was a superhero. He get the ball, man, and he was just magical. He was so graceful. He was so strong and talented. He was so skillful. He was like a ballerina. He would hold the ball and palm it like it was a basketball. And they would try to tackle him, and he would break. And I said, ooh, 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 I want to be like him. <laughs> so I was fixated with this, with this local uh, mega superhero in Walter Payton. Because he can do no wrong in my eyes. And, um, you know, and we had guys like Mike Singletary on defense and Richard Denner. And so that team, they were full of colorful characters. They were so colorful and they were so uh, 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 confident in their abilities that the Super Bowl shuffle song was made a year before they won the Super Bowl. <laughs> they, they made the song, recorded it, had the video ready to go. <laughs> And so a lot of people think that they made the song after they won the Super Bowl, but they made that song well before they won the Super Bowl because they were so confident. So I kind of grew up in that era. And then, of course, Michael Jordan came in 1984 around that same time. So I had a blueprint of greatness that I could not touch, that I had no direct access to within my own confines of my community in terms of, you know, being in my household and school. But every time I turned on the television, it told me a vision. Because that's all the television is, is just telling somebody's vision that you're seeing. So it kind of in, implanted and, and imprinted within me that there was more out there. And so, of course, uh, you know, fast forwarding that, like I mentioned, the first 17 years of my life, um, my life turned at 17 when I met Steve Robertson, my mentor. And he came in um, into my life after I uh, interviewed and enrolled in the Sam Upward Bound program at Marquette. And that was it for me. He gave me a whole nother level of bringing what I saw on TV a little bit closer till I can touch it. And so I took my first flight on the airplane at 17 to California to Stanford University. And for the first time, I saw palm trees. Never seen a palm tree in my entire life, except for an encyclopedia. We didn't have the Internet back then. And so in our encyclopedia, we went to the S and Stanford was in there. And you can see the university and it had pictures of palm trees. And I was like, whoa, I'm actually here. This is incredible. And so that's where my life began to change, where I actually saw myself going to college one day. And within a year, I enrolled into college, attended college. And after four years, I accomplished that dream. I was the first one in my family to graduate from college. Wow, that's, that really is amazing. And, and it, it just goes to show that just being exposed to something, to meeting somebody, to mm. just, you know, you don't know where it's going to happen, no matter what your background or what your right. circumstances are now anything is possible and I think if you've got that inner understanding and that belief and you don't know where it's going to come from but if you're open to the fact you know that you want it to be different and you're able to accept the gifts that are around you when they come then then well you're a shining example that that, that is how life can be exactly 
Um, so just rewind a little bit and just tell us what do you think was valuable about your school experience or pre-college? Yeah, so for me, I always say that education is the greatest equalizer. Like, um, you know, so those first 17 years, it was just really surviving life, surviving the streets. Where, where am I going to lay my head? What am I going to eat? It was just kind of like the... <clears throat> just the normal basic things of uh, those hierarchy of needs on, on, the, on a basic level just being met for me. But then when I realized the power of education and how education can open up opportunities beyond my current situation, I began to take it seriously. And that's how <clears throat> I, um, I was able to uh, learn to, to study, learn time management skills, learn organizational skills, skills that I, I, I didn't uh, didn't really have in my arsenal uh, when I was just coming through survival mode, that getting away and and um, going to upward bound, you know, for that year and then going off to college. I was like, OK, I have a fresh start. Yeah, my mom is dead. Yeah, my father's been incarcerated. But I can't use that as an excuse to impede what I'm trying to go after in life. I have some dreams. I have some goals that I want to accomplish. And the way that I get to those dreams and goals, I have to figure out what trends successful people have. Right. So successful people had discipline, self-discipline. Uh, successful people um, understood sacrifice. Right. Things that. They wanted to do. They didn't always do because they had, you know, goals. And so I, I started implementing those things, not just talking about them, but daily going after that grind. And then I started seeing results. And the more I saw results, the more encouraged I got within myself to want to see more results. And that kind of became a trend. So instead of me just kind of doing it, it became discipline now for me. It was just something that I just kind of like fixated on and I went to the library every day and just, you know, did my three or four hours every day until I enjoyed it. It was a part of who I was. I recreated myself. I love that. I, I, I recreated myself. I think that's a great phrase. And it, it just reminds me of the fact that almost on a on the smallest and sharpest of knife edges, it's that difference in understanding between education learning opportunity is something that i can grasp and it enables mm. me to create my future to to set things up so that i can live life on my terms as opposed to the other side of that which is i have to go to school i'm not really interested i'm just doing it for the sake of doing it what a what a bind you know kind of thing and that absolute knife edge of having a different perspective on what it's there for and the fact that it's a tool it's it's an opportunity for you rather than something which Mm -hmm. is just a bind just completely changes it literally changes your life i think just by having that different mindset exactly absolutely this is it's mind changing mind altering um and then your habits start to change um and the things that you do start to change yeah and which teachers do you remember, and, and why do you remember them? Yeah, so my first recollection of a teacher who really had a strong impact was uh, Miss Thomas. Mrs. Thomas, she really instilled a belief in me um, that I was important, I was uh, valuable, that I was heard, that I was powerful, I, 
I was smart. And um, and so she went to the next grades of teachers, my fourth and fifth grade teacher, um, who was uh, Mr. Becker, um, and said that, hey, I have this kid. I think he should be in the program for academically talented. You know, I think he has some some definite gifts. And it was the way that I read. You know, she would call on students in the class and they would just kind of read the sentence. Johnny jumped over the hill. Right. And then she called on me like Johnny jumped over the hill. <laughs> and she was like, I like you. So I became the class reader. <laughs> you know, kids didn't want to read. But I, I, I felt that, again, education was the greatest equalizer. It was my escape from everything that I saw in the bedrooms of 514. So when I got into school, it was like my stage. I became a whole different person. And so she went to. Mr. Beckham was like, yeah, I got this kid, Vondell Singleton. He definitely needs to be um, in your academically talented class. So I, I was with him for four and five years. And then he took me to another level. He was like, yeah, I know you were good in third grade, but fourth and fifth grade, there's, there's some other dogs up in here that's going to bark just as loud. <laughs> so we putting y'all in the same room and we're going to see who barked the loudest and who bite is the strongest. And so I remember being in the environment where I wasn't the only one reading like that. It was 25 others reading just like I, I read in the room. And so we all pushed each other and, and we would go to what we call math Olympics and we would compete against other teams within the school and sometimes even other schools. And I remember fourth grade year, my team won first place. And that gave me confidence. I was like, ooh, okay, I'm on to something. And so fifth grade year, of course, we had to repeat. So we did the repeat thing. We won back to back. Wow. And then uh, and then my teacher, he was like, okay, we're going to do a spelling bee contest in the class. And whoever win in the class going to compete against the whole school. You know what I mean? And so I remember like, man, I got so much pride. But I know I'm, I'm, I'm in a room full of smart people that, that work hard every day, that don't have a fixed mindset. They're, everybody growing. And I remember coming out to class as a winner and being on the stage in front of the whole school spelling words. And then, man, at the end of that, you know, I won a spelling bee and they gave me this big trophy in front of the whole school first place. You know what I mean? And, and that took my confidence to a whole nother level. So now, you know, you, you, you kind of you take this kid, right, who's who's beginning to understand who he is. And then he started to see success. OK. Now he's starting to tap into greatness, right? So when other kids around me wanted to do average, I'm telling them to step up their game. I'll never forget um, Antonio. He was five years older than me. Um, and I remember finding a wallet in Otterby Wells. And, uh, and I remember him opening up the wallet. Now, mind you, he's older than I am. So he, he, he said, hey, man, it's 80-something dollars in this wallet. Let's split it. And the first thing came out of my mouth was let's find the man and give him his wallet back. And back then we used to call each other squares. Man, you're a square, man. Like, <laughs> I ain't giving you crazy, Joe. We going to Jewels or Lake Meadows right across the street. You know what I mean? We finna go here and you don't want it. That's good for me. So he walks away. Okay. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, well, at least I did the right thing. 
you know, but I knew there was somebody who needed that money, right? So it wasn't until years later when we were in our 20s, he came to me and pulled me aside. And he said, you remember when, when I found that man's wallet and you told me to give it back? I called you a square and walked away, all this, all that. He said, you were always a leader. Here's how. He said, do you know that as I walked away, your words rung in my mind, rung in my heart, so much so that he says, I looked for the guy because his ID was in there for several days. I found the man and gave him his wallet back. I never told you that. And he said, the man grabbed me, hugged me, thanked me because the man had three kids at home and a wife and was saying, man, I have been looking for my wallet. We needed food. I needed to buy my baby diapers, man. Thank you so much, young man. He give you $40. And so the lesson that I learned was that he got half of it doing the right thing anyway. Yeah. Instead of taking the whole thing and cursing himself. So I say all that to say this. I've always been a leader. I've always been a leader, leader ever since I can remember. I've never been the one to follow the crowds. Just never been the one to follow the crowds. And do you think that was that's inbuilt, or 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 is it that determination to want to have a slightly different life than you were experiencing that that made that difference? Yes, the latter. So I believe the reason why I always wanted to be a leader is because. Okay, let me put it to you like this. My situation was my motivation. I was so tired of taking L's. My mom was on drugs. Now, you got to remember, I have a drug dealer and a drug user in the same house. So my mother's losing, but my father seemingly is winning, right? And so I was being hurt by both sides. And so I didn't want either side to lose and so for me it was just the situation that I was in I knew that there was something more and so it challenged me when I went to school to like do my best like man try to be around good people like man try to you know like capitalize on opportunities because they were few and far in, in between and so every opportunity that I did have to get on the stage and spell a word, you know, it was because I practiced all of those words on the spelling list. <laughs> right. So like, it wasn't like I was just living off talent alone. I was grinding in my tears. Cause my mom, she would be gone two or three days and leave me in the house with my, with my uh, younger sibling. And I had some other relatives that were younger and all our moms were on drugs and see, man, a lot of people forget how powerful this crack epidemic was in the mid 80s. It was wiping out a lot of families, a lot of people. A lot of people were losing their lives on both sides. You had drug dealers uh, giving rocks out and and you had women and and fathers and they were doing tricks. They were going in the house. I remember my my mother took the last few dollars off my grandmother's dresser, stole it from her to go get a hit. And my grandmother's like, where my money at? You know, I need this money to get my medicine and get some get some food. And I'm like, well, you you know, mom on, on that stuff. Right. And so now it's starting to hurt people. So I'm like, man, I, I can't keep living like this. I have to do something about it. And so that's why I was just like, man, I, I see what happens 
when you do drugs. I see what happened when you run the streets. It all had consequences. I like to describe it like it's milk. The first thing that I do when I purchase milk is look at the date because it always has an expiration date on it. So I don't like to buy milk if it's going to expire a day or two days after I bought it or the same day. I try to go all the way to the back and get my milk because I know that's where the last dates are, the longest date. So I, I tell people all the time, the street life is like milk. It has an expiration date. You may not know when it is. And I said the second piece of it is, is if you drink milk that is too past its date, not only does it, it, it taste horrible, but it'll make you sick. And so, you know, I, I tell people like, OK, you can play with the short game all you want to. It has some serious consequences to it. So I wanted to put my stock in a long term game and say, you know what? I'm a sacrifice now. OK, I'm a study now. All right. I'm going to be, you know, called X, Y and Z now. But on the back end, I'll be able to, you know, help a lot more people. And, and, and that's what I'm able to do now. I mean, that that really is amazing. And what I love about it is the fact that you did what you could do, you know, because it's very easy to think, but I can't change the situation. You know, I can't change my dad. I can't change my mom. I'm, I'm stuck where I am. But there are some things you could do. And that was, you know, you could study. You could take it seriously. You could put yourself out there in a positive way. And that's often the key, you know, not getting caught up in absolutely everything, especially the things you can't control. But what can you do for you, which in turn then gives to so many other people? And I think that's a really key factor um, in, in lots of people's success. Yes, sir. Um, you did talk before a little bit about the sporting heroes that you had. But is there anyone else that you admired when you were young? Uh, yeah, outside of, you know, Walter Payton, like I said, Mike Singletary, Michael Jordan. Um, you know, those were more on the sports sides, but there were definitely like civil rights leaders that I admire, like, you know, Dr. King, Mega Evers, um, Ralph Abernathy, a Andrew Young, um, some of the forefathers who kind of, you know, sacrifice not just themselves, but their families, you know, their names um, to, to fight for equity. And so, yeah, I, I kind of put those in a whole separate category because it's still to this day is certain person's voices that I've heard for decades um, that still kind of like do something emotionally to me. Dr. King is one of those, you know, anytime, you know, um, hearing, hearing his voice, what you heard was conviction. What you heard was just like, Hey, the struggle is real, but I, I just truly believe in, in what I'm saying. And, you know, you felt like, he believed in everything that he, he was saying. So at some point, you know, you was going to have to give him what he was asking for. You know, uh, Rosa Parks, um, you know, Harriet Tubman, you know, the, those are individuals who were fearless, who were bold, who were willing to risk it all, you know, even their own lives uh, for the betterment of others. So, yeah, definitely, you know, um, alongside of my sports heroes of Chicago, um, just my national civil um, rights heroes you know I admire as well yeah and I, and I think I think you're right in as much as the impact that these people have is often their authenticity mm. it's their desire to want to make a difference their their selflessness and, and their sacrifice mm. that they do and I, and I think there's something about that which just touches you away and impacts you in a way which is almost indescribable in, in an intellectual way isn't it it's a pure emotional and a pure mm -hmm. sort of human connection I think 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What was the best piece of advice you've ever been given and who gave it to you? Uh, the best piece of advice that I've been given and who gave it to me, um, it would have to be my mentor, um, Steve. He once told me the same thing I did for you do for somebody else. And that was like the turning point of what started uh, this whole idea of I can have my dreams fulfilled and still help others fulfill their dreams set in. Because, you know, growing up for me, it was just like, I want to make it out. 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 And that's all we, we, we talked about and we thought about is for us individually making it out. But then along the way, you know, um, you know, when I asked my mentor, I said, how do I pay you back? And that's when he said that the same thing I did for you do for somebody else. That's how you pay me back. I was like, oh, I get it. So I started really assessing my life and thinking like, man, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't even be in a position to call him on the phone to ask him this question. So if he had singularly this much influence and impact on my life, how much more can I impact others' lives and how much more can they impact others' lives? And if we kept that chain going, becoming successful and also building what we call successors, um, then the world would be a million times better because I'm helping you get up the ladder while I go up the ladder as well. So I'm not just climbing up the ladder, knock the ladder down and say, hey, you got to find your own ladder to get up here. Right. It's just like, no, let's let's go up the ladder together. Um, And so I think like that is what um, sparked the idea of, okay, I can pay my mentor back by mentoring. So that's where champs came into play. Yeah. And just and just take us into that that story a little bit in, in terms of exactly how how that's come about and exactly and who it's benefiting. Yeah. So, you know, CHAMP stands for culturally helping and making positive success. We believe that every young man is born to win in every situation in life. Um, And our three E's are education, empowerment and exposure. And so you have a lot of uh, similar situations, a lot of young men, even adult men coming from, you know, very, very similar situations uh, that I grew up in in Chicago. Uh, there are not too many places on the south and west side. Um, very few that are exempt um, from, you know, the streets, the gangs, the drugs, the violence. Like it's almost like we, we talking to the choir when I'm walking down the street or, or talking to somebody who's still alive. Because now we're talking about the people still alive. We haven't mentioned all the other people who didn't make it. Right. And so we have been part of a small percentage a few years ago. They did a uh, they did a, a, a research article on the number of individuals from the south and west sides of Chicago that have attained a college degree by the age of 25. And it was less than five percent. So there are 95 percent of individuals for whatever reason, it could be jail, it could be death, it could be just, you know, loss of desire, motivation, mom got, whatever the reason, there were less than 5% of individuals on the south and west side that had a bachelor's degree by the age of 25. And so I'm part of a very small percentage. Now to take that even further of the population of those who are educators, there are only 2% out the United States population for educators that are African-American males. 
So I'm part of a 2% um, demographic when it comes to being a black male educator. And then I'm sure it slices even more as a black male administrator, not just a teacher. So when you're talking about beating the odds, I'm living proof. Like every single day that I wake up, I am grateful and I'm thankful to have the opportunities that I have just because I know that it is not a normal thing. I know that I'm an anomaly. Um, So, yeah, with Champs now, it's just set up to be this whole mentoring program where uh, mentors are giving back to young men that are black Latino, primarily from urban cities. We have 11 chapters now. We have six in Chicago and five outside of Chicago. Uh, We have one in Brooklyn, New York. We have one in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, Little Rock, Arkansas, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And then, as I said, we have six chapters in Chicago. Our goal is to get to 50 mentoring programs by 2020. And so it's very aggressive. And we believe in through, you know, corporate um, partnerships, organizations, uh, private donations that we can be able to really show the world how powerful mentorship is and how it averses to violence and the things that we're seeing in our communities. I believe if if we were able to reach these young men before some of the leaders in the streets reached them, man, through mentorship and gave them an opportunity before they got a hold and cuffed them in and showed them the ropes, like we can do a whole lot more through the CHAMPS program if we're able to do this full time, if I can hire 20 salary mentors and let them go at their gifts, we can change not just the city, but we can change the world. I'm convinced of it. And it really is, like you said, it's it's getting that inspiration. It's it's getting that um, environment in place, isn't it? So that people who are yes. struggling or not knowing have that immediate positivity that immediate not knowing that it can be different like you said from seeing it on the telly but feeling it talking to someone being shown right. how it can be different now and then like you say that changes very quickly yes absolutely and what advice would you give your younger self now uh the the, the main advice would be um <clears throat> that I would give my younger self is to not allow the tragedies of your past to make your future seem unattainable. Um, that every obstacle will indeed make you stronger, um, to make sure that you forgive often and allow the wisdom of those who have gone before you, um, to kind of lead you that you don't have to bump your head against the wall. If somebody did it for you, uh, that your future looks so much better than your situation right now. Um, that you you have to begin to learn the art of, of working hard now, study hard, and just know that it's going to work to your advantage, work to your benefit. And you might have covered this already, having just sort of explained about your program and your plans for um, how many, you 50 by 2020, but um, what do you think your future actually does look like? Yeah, so my, my future... Uh, will look like uh, me just training mentors, going into schools, setting up champs programs. Um, we we already host a, a conference that we do 
uh, every year, but I love to be able to host conferences in other states and even other countries. Um, I think it would be cool to uh, do a champs conference in Great Britain, um, do a, a champs conference in China, in Japan, um, and, and be able to fly in and convene with like-minded spirits. We may not even speak the same language, but it's something about the spirit of purpose that draw people together. Um, and <clears throat> so my, my heart's desire is that, uh, you know, we, we are able to, uh, maneuver in, in, in that field, but then also have a very powerful, um, uh, you know, youth facility, uh, here on the South as well as the West side of Chicago, where, you know, youth can come and they can get counseling. Youth can come and they can get a uh, basketball lessons, swim lessons. They can learn the art of recording and producing um they can get culinary arts lessons like have all of this one-stop shop in the hoods in the communities that they're um are doing some of the violence right now but if we can get them into that building i believe their lives will be changed they will want to keep coming back why is because they found individuals who really care and get it and anytime you because they just want to belong right so anytime you can get them into an environment where it's healthy and productive, nine times out of 10, they're going to be a part of that environment um, because I haven't met somebody who just said, I want to be a dropout. I want to be, you know, street. Like people have dreams and goals and they're very real. And if we can't help them reach them, then they look for alternatives. And so I want to reverse that. I want to reach them before they get to a place where, you know, the streets uh, are, are looking good. And, and the way we do that is uh, we get some capital investments and we get corporations and, and people invested in what we're doing and saying, you know what, we're going to make sure that we can have uh, uh, enough inside this investment for you to employ your staff, provide benefits, et cetera, and then also provide, you know, jobs for some of your young men and internships and apprenticeships and career pipelines and opportunities. So that's my big, big vision. Well, that's fantastic. And if you end up in the UK and you need someone to stand on that stage with you, then I'll be absolutely delighted to uh, <laughs> to help you out in any way I possibly could. <laughs> absolutely. I, I, I know who to call now. Yeah, for sure, for sure, be such a uh, an amazing thing to be part of, and I, and I wish you every success when, and as much of that that you can get and and be successful with, it's going to impact on many, many, many people, and I think it's a it, it's a fantastic gift, and I can only hope that the ripple effect that you're causing really um has all the benefits that it really sounds like it will have, and uh, your drive and your understanding, I think, um, will make it as it. Um, incredibly successful so yeah I congratulate you as much as I possibly can thank you so much I really appreciate that what podcast book um, video film song or or any resource really has had the biggest impact on your life and and why was that Uh, first and foremost uh, the biggest out of podcast book video film song uh, that has had the biggest impact on me is the, the bible um, that's been the single most important book for me. Um, I was given the Bible the first time when I was 17, um, and I was able to read front to back the whole Bible within one year. And then I, I, I got so excited about just how my mind had changed. Like reading the Bible, it wasn't just like reading another book. 
it was transformational. It was like, you know, taking medicine or something like that when you're sick. And it started like filling in all these gaps. So when I turned 18, I vowed that I would read it again. And so I did. So I read the Bible front to back um, at 17. And I read it front and back by 18. And what it did, it, it made me 22. So when I spoke, everybody thought I was older than what I was. And I was like, no, I'm 18. It was like, well, you sound like you're an adult. It put four years. It was like I already graduated from college. I didn't really need to go to college. <laughs> and uh, and so understanding Proverbs and Psalms and Philippians and Galatians, um, you know, like where it says rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearances of evil, and a very God of peace will sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, that your whole spirit, soul, and body will be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. I learned that at 18. I never forgot it, right? And I was like, okay, Galatians 5, 16. I know it. I put it in my heart. I don't know when I'm going to use it, but I will shelve certain things that I will read. And I can wake up in the middle of the night and I can just quote certain scriptures that have stayed with me for over 20 years. And so um, and then also one of the most recent books I, I just read is a book called Believe to Achieve. I just read it maybe a month ago. Uh, it's by Michael Jordan's mentor, vice president, um, Howard White of Jordan brand. And so we just left uh, Nike headquarters two weeks ago and had a chance to meet him. And I told him, like, man, your book Believe to Achieve it's just like a modern day Bible for me. It was just so practical, just wisdom, you know, and I was just sharing like with him. And so now meeting him and then now being connected with him, we've been emailing back and forth. And so my next move is to get one of my heroes back here to Chicago, which is Michael Jordan. And he's the only person right now in the world that can pick up the phone and call Michael Jordan directly and wow. say, hey, Mike, I need you. I need you to jump on a plane. He's just vice president of his brand and, and the Nike headquarters. But he's also been by his side since he was 17, even before he played ball in North Carolina. He's been with him, recruiting him, working with him, encouraging him, being there. He was there when his father died. He was there um, on the sideline when the Bulls won the first championship. And so, you know, to have somebody like that now that I have direct access to is going to help take me to the next level. And then a podcast that I like to listen to is uh, uh, Eric Thomas, E.T., the hip hop preacher. Um, he has an amazing podcast that he that he uh, gives out uh, once a week. And I listen to that, you know, just to kind of stay in tune uh, with what's going on because he travels the world. And uh, he's been a huge support of Champs these past few months and just talk with him this morning about some opportunities that we have coming up to start bringing champs, not just to high schools, but to colleges now. So, yep. That's great. There's so many great resources there that people can check out. And, and all these things are going to be on the show notes of this podcast. So you'll be able to click through and, and, and get direct links to those, which would be brilliant. So, so people who've, oh, like me, who just enjoy this conversation so much and it's been so inspiring, um, what's the best way for people to find out some more about you? Yeah, sure. So uh, the best way for people... Uh, to kind of find out more about me is through our website. It's www.champsmentoring. Um, that's champs, C-H-A-M-P-S, mentoring.com. Uh, and then also uh, 
you know, folks can follow us on social media at Champs Mentoring. And that's uh, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, it's all at Champs Mentoring. Well, um, thank you, Vondel, for sharing your wisdom and allowing us to learn from your great experiences. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm definitely looking forward to connecting with you down the road. Thanks for listening to the Learning on Fire podcast. For more information, please visit educationonfire.com and follow the links from the homepage. This show is sponsored by the National Association for Primary Education. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.